0: All right, well, good morning. Man, um, the energy, like, right down over here in this corner, uh, I feel like I've had, like, eight Red Bulls, like, all of a sudden, all at one time. But, uh, hey, uh, thanks for being here today. Uh, My name is Jeff and uh, have the privilege to work with uh, uh, connections with uh, people that uh, maybe you're new uh, and want to find ways to connect to life of the church. I'd uh, love to be able to, um, to meet you, hang out with you. Um, I'm usually, um, before and after services out here, the big banner, looks like a swimming pool, says new here out there. Uh, stop by there, I'd love to meet you uh, and uh, connect with you. Uh, also, if you're new, just so that uh, um, you know what's happening, um, our pastor, uh, Pastor Kirk's on sabbatical this summer, uh, and uh, he'll be back in August. And so even if you hate me, uh, come back because he's awesome. All right. So uh, he'll be back in a few weeks. Uh, this is actually the third time uh, that I have uh, spoken here. Um, the first two times. <laughs> well, thank you. Anyway, um, I didn't ask for that, but I'm, I'm not going to you know, get mad about it. Anyway, uh, so it's the third time. Uh, the first two times, Pastor Kurt was supposed to be out of town, uh, and uh, he was here both weeks, which is a little nerve wracking for me, uh, and uh, he's not here today. And so either he's uh, like given a stamp of approval or he's given up. One of the two. Uh, either way, uh, we're going to make it through today. If you have your Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 9. Uh, we're walking through the book of Joshua, uh, and just uh, an amazing, amazing uh, book in God's Word uh, that helps us see. Uh, Just what an amazing, powerful God uh, that we serve. So uh, several years ago, um, we uh, um, had our second daughter, who she's now a, a sophomore, just finished her sophomore year in college, Uh, and uh, I was in my 30s, and I, like a lot of of men, uh, we really care about our wives, and when they get pregnant and start gaining weight, we decide to gain weight with them, just for them, not for us, but just for them, Uh, and uh, so after Hannah was born, uh, Wendy uh, lost uh, all of her weight that she gained, uh, and she looked great, uh, and I didn't, and so I just kept gaining it uh, because it was so much fun, and so I was what they would, uh, you would refer to as a skinny fat guy, all right, I I was extremely skinny, uh, but I had a huge belly uh, and it was really disgusting and so I'm not that pretty to begin with and so I don't need any help. So anyway, I just looked up at myself one day and said, you know what, a group of friends we were talking, we're like, we're not going out like this, we're not going to be that so we decided we were going to get in shape and so we needed a goal, we needed something to kind of jump start us and so we decided to sign up. For a sprint triathlon, okay? Uh, and so, so a sprint triathlon is you swim a third of a mile, uh, then you, uh, uh, th- this race, then you would uh, bike uh, for 12 miles, uh, and then you would run a 5K, uh, which seems really stupid, and it is really stupid to do all those things. Anyway, uh, we decided we would do it. We needed that, uh, something to just to get us rolling. And so uh, the, the bike and the run I was okay with. I wasn't going to be fast at those, but I, I'd done those enough. I, could, I was okay. But the swimming part just scared me to death, all right? I The idea of swimming that far, uh, I had all of this fear and anxiety about it, and so I needed some help. So there was this guy at the local pool. He was a young guy. I'd I've been a, a, a college swimmer he says hey I'll help you and so he helped me and so he as we started training he gave me two tips he said there's two things you need to do the first one he said was is that before the race day because it was a uh, lit in Tampa it was going to be a Clearwater Beach is where it was taking place and so it, and he said you need to go swim to swim at least one time in the open water because we did all of our training in the pool so um, I basically ignored that I never went uh, and did that uh, and so I show up for the day of the race you you know, uh, and I started training just to get a shade, but you know the, the competitive edge starts rolling, and so on the day of the race, not I wasn't thinking any longer uh, about uh, um, just finishing. I was about to win this thing. I mean, that, that was my mindset. I was about to win, uh, and so the next thing you know, uh, my heat is about to go, uh, and there's about a hundred people in our heat, uh, and I find myself at the very front corner uh, of, of the race, and so I remembered at that moment the second thing he told me. He says, "Go swim it in the open water at least." Once, I didn't do that. And the second thing he said was, because you're nervous and anxious about being in the water, he said, get at the very back of the pack. All right, don't get at the front. I ignored that as well because I was going to win the race. All right, so we had to go out about a hundred yards, and there was a buoy there, and then you went a, a swim along parallel with the shore uh, for the entire race. And so I'm all pumped up, I'm all excited. The gun goes off, and I take off in the water. And I, I didn't know anything about triathlons and how people acted and how rude they were. Uh, But uh, basically, what happens is, is when you start swimming, nobody cares about you, all right? And so they start swimming over the top of me, and they're kicking, and they're punching, and they're hitting. It's like I'm not even there. It's like I'm a floaty in the water, and they're just trying to get over me. And so I'm obviously, I'm going under the water. Remember, I'm already nervous about this anyway. And so I panicked, and I start taking in all this salt water. And somehow or another, I get to that buoy that's 100 yards out. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm done. I'm I'm just I can't do this and so uh, they had all these lifeguards that were out there on surfboards for idiots like me that shouldn't have been out there Uh, and so so I found one and I got up on there and I just sit in there for a second and I'm completely defeated in that moment I'm thinking I did all this training I did all of this work uh, my family's here with signs you know there's all this stuff and I'm not even going to be able to finish the race I'm done And so I'm sitting up on that, like my my arms are up on that surfboard, and I'm just trying to catch my breath, and I'm trying not to die from all the salt water uh, that I've taken in. And there's this little girl on the the, the surfboard, this lifeguard, probably about 12 years old is what she looked like anyway. And she looks down at me, and this is what she says. She looks at me with pity, right? Uh, She says, are you sure, sir, that you can do this? And it ticked me off. I mean, it ticked me off bad, all right? Uh, Because I'm thinking, I am, there's no way. But in a moment, what it did, it calmed me down, right? And I was able to channel something inside of me. I was like, no, I'm not quitting this thing. I am finishing. And I would love to tell you some miraculous story that I finished and I won. I didn't win. But I did finish, all right? Uh, And, uh, yeah, I finished. And the reason I did was because there was something competitive inside of me that I just didn't want to lose, Think about that for just a second. For all of us in the room with different personalities with different making. Now, there's some of you that you play a game, and you're like, oh, let's just have fun. I can't stand you people, by the way, all right? Uh, I mean, if you're going to play a game, why would you play it unless you're trying to win, right? I mean, there's no reason to do something. I'm not one of those parents. Listen, my kids, uh, they played upward sports. If you don't know what that is, that's where they try to act like. It's just for fun, and they're not keeping score. Everybody's keeping score, right? I kept score. You kept score. Everybody kept score, right? Uh, And I'm not one of those parents that let my kids win at stuff. I don't care if it's ping pong I don't care if we're playing horse I don't care what it is I'm going to win uh, if you want to win just be better right there's no reason for me to give it to you right some of y'all are no, anyway so uh so that's just the way that I'm wired but whether you're wired that way or whether you're just one of those want to have fun nobody wants to be a loser nobody Nobody wants to lose, right? We we all want to be winners. No one, uh, whether it's relationally or whether it's financially or whether it's in a game or whether it's in life, nobody wants to be a loser. We all want to be winners. And this morning, what I want you to see from this passage of Scripture is that we have been set up to win. As people that are followers of Jesus, we have been set up to win. So as we look at these two chapters, I want you to think about two overarching uh, just kind of themes or thoughts that we're going to see through this. These are things that I want you just to be able to wrap your mind around. The first one is this, is that we should never be surprised that a supernatural God does supernatural things. We shouldn't be surprised by that. If God can speak the world into existence, there's nothing in your life that God can't handle. And then we should not be surprised. The same God that we read about today in Joshua chapter nine and 10 is the same God that loves you so much that he gave his only son for you. And the reason that he did that is because he cares as much about you as he did about the people of Israel. So when God does supernatural things, we should not be surprised by those things. And the second thing I want you to think about, and this is very simplistic, but it's very, very powerful, and that is that God always wins. God never loses he didn't lose yesterday he's not going to lose today and he's not going to lose to Mahara because God always wins so with those thoughts in mind let's look at what happens in Joshua chapter 9 and chapter 10 uh, we're not going to read the whole thing I'm going to tell you the part of the story we're going to read a section in chapter 9 and then we'll read another section in chapter 10 but here's what's going on Joshua has led the people of Israel to the promised land. God had been promising them for generations it was going to happen. They've got there, and now they are in the promised land, and they are in the process of conquering the land, which means they're going from battle to battle, and they are just uh, destroying people. And so as they are destroying people, other people are stepping up and taking notice of the people of Israel. So they've just uh, finished this uh, battle that uh, Pastor Byron talked about last week, uh, that where they fe- defeated the people of Ai. I have no idea if that's how you are supposed to say that or not but the, it's spelled A-I and I'm from Alabama so a simple A-I That's the way. You call, if you don't want to call it that you call it what you want to when you're preaching but today it's A-I all right. so they defeated A-I, they won the battle so when they do that there's a group of people from this area uh, that's called Gibeon and they recognize that hey listen, these people are no joke and we do not want them to destroy us so they went through this uh, incredible charade. Uh, they, they made themselves look like they were from this far, far off land. And they came to Joshua and the leaders of the people of Israel, and they tried to convince them that they were from a, a really far away. Uh, they weren't from this region or they weren't from this area that they were trying to take over. And they said, hey, would you make a covenant with us that your people would not destroy us? So they basically deceived Joshua. They deceived the leaders, of, uh, the leaders of Israel. You can go and read it in chapter 9. And Joshua made a covenant with them and said that we will protect you, that we will not destroy you. So when they make this decree to the people of Israel that this happened, some of the people of Israel like, wait a second. These are not people from a far, away, uh, far away off. These are people that live right among us. These are our neighbors, right? These are people that are right here with us. Why are we doing this? And so then they come to the leaders, and they're mad, and they're upset. And the leaders basically look at the people and say, no, it doesn't matter whether they deceived us or not. We made a covenant with them, and we're going to stick by that covenant. So then Joshua comes to this group of people from Gibeon, and he uh, he confronts them about their deception. And I want you to look at it with me, uh, Joshua chapter 9, beginning in verse 22. Look at what it says. So Joshua summoned them, the people of Gibeon, and he said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying that we are very far from you when actually you dwell among us? Now therefore you are cursed, is what Joshua tells them. And some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood, and drawers of water for the house of my God. And so these were people that were not worshipers of God. And isn't it interesting that Joshua put them in the place where they were going to be in the temple or the tabernacle? They were going to have to be around the things of God all the time, which I think that's kind of a cool side note, but that's not where we're going to focus today, all right? So here's what they answered Joshua. Look at this answer of why they deceived him. Because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all of the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and so we did this thing, right? Which makes sense, right? They wanted to protect themselves and so they deceived him uh, into making this covenant. And Now behold, we are in your hands, So whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do that. All right? Just do that. So he did this to them, and he delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. Now, that's a good day, right? When someone doesn't kill you, that's a good day. So they had a good day. Uh, And basically what Joshua says is, I know you deceived us, but I am going to be faithful to the commitment that we made to you. So the Gibeonite people, they became servants of the people of Israel, but they were protected, they were not destroyed. So when you move over to chapter 10, here's what happens. There were five other cities and kings that were from around that region that heard about this. And they decided we've got to band together because we we cannot allow the people of Israel to come and destroy us. But it's interesting that they didn't decide to go and fight against the, uh, the people of Israel. They decided that they were going to band together and they were going to kill the Gibeonite people, right? They were going to destroy them. So they decide to come together and to go to war against Gibeon and the Gibeonite people, all right? So at this point, the Gibeonite people come to Joshua and said, hey, would you fight for us? That in essence is what they say. Would you come and fight for us? So we're going to pick it up in chapter ten, and verse six. Here's what it says: The men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, "Do not relax your hand from your servants." All right. In other words, don't don't back away. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So all these other five uh, uh, kings and their kingdoms. So Joshua went up from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. So they gathered together. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear these them these other five uh uh, areas for i have given them into your hands like it is interesting that god says it in the past tense right they hadn't fought the battle yet he says but i've already given them into your hands it's already over why because god always wins right not a man of them shall stand before you go to the next verse So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. So they marched all night. You can imagine how tired they must have been. And then they start the battle the next day. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon, and chased them by the way of the ascent, and struck them as far as Azekah and Machedah. And I have no idea if that's how you say it, but that's how we're saying it, all right? And as they uh, fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Betharon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they all died. Interesting, we'll come back to that in a moment. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Look at this. This is interesting. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajon." And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Is this not written in the book of Joshua? the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. So one day was actually two days. There has been no day like it. Don't miss this. this is the end, right? There's no, been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord, and I want you to read these last three words with me out loud together, right? The Lord did what? He fought for Israel. The Lord fought for Israel. And the Amazing thing about the Lord fighting for Israel is what we said at the beginning. A supernatural God's going to do supernatural things, and God always wins. So if the Lord is fighting for Israel, you know Israel's going to win, because when the Lord fights for you, he always wins. And the reason that God set apart the the, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, is he wanted the entire world to know, uh, to see and to know uh, that he was the one true God. And that if he favored you, then you were going to win. You were going to be victorious. And the same way that God felt about the people of Israel is the same way that he treats his children. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, that we've made a decision to put our life into God's hands, what he says to us is that I will fight for you. Do you know that? That the Lord, the God of all creation... The one that we worship and that we just sang about a few moments ago, and oftentimes we sing it with passion, but the reality is, is that great God, he fights for you. And if he fights for you, he's going to win. So if we know that look here and I don't say this from a, a place of authority, I say this down in the valley with you at times, is that why is it that even though we know that that God fights for us in that way, why is it that we often feel like we're constantly losing? Anybody feel like you're losing today? You don't have to say it out loud. But in a room this size, I would say that for many of us that we walked in this room with things that are heavy on our heart, that are heavy on our mind, and we just feel like we're losing. We believe in God, and we believe he has that power. We believe he's supernatural. But when we look at our life, and we look at our circumstances, we look at our own decisions, and we would say to ourselves, I just feel like I'm losing. Think about where Joshua was. Because what I believe is, is that oftentimes the reason that we feel like we're losing is because we're focused on the wrong things. Joshua wasn't focused on the fact that this group of people had deceived him. He could have been upset and said, all of this war that I'm about to go into, he says, uh, he could have said in his mind, it's all because that I was deceived by them. I made a horrible decision, and now therefore I feel like a loser because I never should have gotten our people into this situation. But isn't it amazing that God can take even our mistakes and our failures and turn it into something amazing for his glory? But what happens is, is we get so down on ourselves because of decisions we've made, because of things that we've done, that we stay down in that, and we do not allow God to have the victory. What if Joshua would have found himself into a a place of of discouragement and depression because he had put his people in a bad situation of war because of a decision that he had made to make a covenant with people that had deceived him and that were only going to bring him uh, to a place where there was going to be uh, trouble and calamity before the people of Israel in his mind because of what he had a, a decision that he had made. He did not focus on that. He did not allow his mind to go to a place to where he spent all of his time and attention thinking about, I shouldn't have made this covenant with the people. Sometimes because of decisions we made, the reason that we feel like losers is because we spend all of our time thinking about the past and the things that we've done that have brought us to where we are. The other thing, think about this, there were five cities that had come together for war. And the circumstances could have seemed overwhelming to him because now not only are you fighting one nation at a time, but now there are five uh, at a time that are coming at you. And there could have been a moment in time uh, in this place that he felt like, man, this is just too overwhelming. The circumstances are at a place where I just can't take anymore. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like, God, I can't take one more thing in my life. I can't take one more relational issue or financial issue or whatever it is. You fill in the blank. The reality is, is that all of us have those times in our life where we just feel overwhelmed. And when we focus on our maybe our guilt from bad decisions... Or we focus on our overwhelming circumstances, what happens is is we get down in the weeds and we can only see things from our perspective. But Joshua didn't do that. Joshua saw the evidence of all that God had done, and Joshua went into this battle recognizing that the Lord was going to fight for him, and because the Lord always wins, he knew that he was going to be victorious. And the reality is, is for all of us in this room that we have a choice to make today. The first choice that you need to make is that you surrender your life and say, God, I'm going to let you fight for me. Oftentimes what happens is many of you aren't seeing the victory in your life because as opposed to letting the Lord fight for you, you're fighting against him. You're trying to do things your own way. You're trying to go your own path. You're trying to get God to bless your plans. And the reality is, is that my plans will always end in destruction. My plans will always end at a place that is absolutely miserable for me and all the other people that I impact in my life. But when I surrender my life to the Lord, then what begins to happen is, is I recognize, God, I'm going to surrender to you and I'm going to let you fight for me. I'm going to let you, a supernatural God, do supernatural things in my life. And I'm going to win, not because of Jeff, not because of anything that's in me, but because I serve a God, look at this, who does not lose. That sounds good, right? But how do we do that? You say, Jeff, I understand all that and I believe all that, uh, but h- how how do I get to a place of winning? And I, I just want to give you two things real quickly. Uh, and these two things are probably going to be the simplest application points you've ever heard in your life. But once again, I told you earlier, I'm from Alabama. All I can do is simple. All right, that's all I got. All right. So, but here they are. But don't miss the power that's behind these two simple things. How do I win? How can you win today? Number one is this. You trust the power of God. Man, that that sounds so spiritual. If you're not careful, you can get lost in uh, the the religious tone of that. But I want you to understand what it means to just trust the power of God. There's nothing that's beyond his ability. Did you see what he did in this passage of Scripture? First of all, in the battle, he sends this hailstorm. And the only people the hailstorm hit, uh, hits uh, is the enemy, right? It doesn't hit any of the people of Israel. It's like God's just up there, uh, just uh, he's knocking them out one at a time. Oh, yeah, you want to worship another God? Boom, I got you, right? And I mean, just uh, over and over again, he destroys. It says that more people died because of the hailstorm than they did because of the sword of the people of Israel, which means that God was fighting for them. So God's powerful enough to send a hailstorm that only hits the enemy. That's pretty powerful, right? And then, did you see the next passage? That Joshua prayed, and it says that God allowed the sun to stand still. For an entire day, the sun stood still. For an entire day, uh, there was basically two days of sunlight uh, that, uh, that happened in a row without the sun ever going down that God allowed it to just stand still. Now, now, this is interesting. I don't do this right now, but later go on your Google machine or whatever uh, and uh, put in sun stand still, Right? And you will see some of the, uh, the most amazing, sometimes crazy theories about how this happened and what this meant. But what's really uh, absolutely incredible is to look at how many things in ancient times changed around 700 B.C., which is the time in which historically this was written. And how many ancient calendars changed during this time? How many ancient writings that have nothing to do with Christianity or, or uh, Jewish religion or the Bible, uh, that they, they basically they, uh, they, they give evidence to the reality of what happens here that God literally made the sun stand still. But think about this. why why would that be so unusual for us as followers of God? Because if God created the sun and God created the moon, why couldn't he have it to stand still if he wanted to, right? But think about this. God didn't need the sun to stand still for him to destroy the, the enemy, did he? He didn't need for that to happen. He could have wiped them out instantly. He didn't need a hailstorm to do that. But it's also it's awesome to think about sometimes God does things not only to prove his power, but he does it to get our attention. You know that those five enemies that he was fighting in that day and time, they all had lots of other gods that they worship. But you know what two of the main gods they worship uh, during that time, they worship the God of the sun and they worship the God of the moon. And in this move, God proved to them and showed them once again that, hey, my God, uh, that I am bigger than any of the gods that you worship, there is only one true God and I am in control. And there are times in life that God wants to show his power to you, but what needs to happen is that for us to be able to come to a place of saying, God, not only do I trust in your power, but I make a commitment. Here's the second thing, to just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. You see, we get so caught up in, God, I don't understand this, or God, I want to know what your will is for my life. And we think about all these things in the future. We think about all the things that we don't understand, when the reality is is where we need to start is just by doing what we already know. Just do the right thing. Just do the things that you know are clear in Scripture. That's where we begin. And once again, it seems so simplistic, But if you and I could simply come to a place where we trust the power of God and we just do what we already know to do, that that's how God works in and God begins to show off in a way that not only changes your life, but it changes the world around you. Just do the right thing. Years ago... when we were in the process of moving to Baton Rouge, for me personally, it was just it was, it was a, a low time. I was discouraged. And when you're discouraged, a lot of times what happens is, is you begin to try to fill in the gaps where you don't see God working, right? You, you ever been in a place where you didn't see God working? You knew He was, but you didn't see Him, and so you try to help Him out and fill in the gaps. This is where I was, we, we were moving here and we were gonna help a friend start a nonprofit. and so as a result of that, we were gonna have to be raising funds for our income and that scared me to death. I'd had security, I had people taking great care of our family for so long and so uh, I, I was scared to death about that. And the church that we were leaving, they loved us and uh, uh, they, they supported our family. They said, we're gonna support your family for the next six months. So uh, from January through June. We're going to take care of your family. And man, they were just absolutely amazing to us. What a huge blessing for us. And we were thankful for it. But in my mind as a human, I'm thinking about, what about July, right? And so I begin to, uh, to go into that mode. And once again, I'm discouraged just in my general walk. And there are things that uh, I wish that would have been different. But the reality is I know I've got to figure out how to provide for my family. So I start as a man, I start thinking about how can we stretch those resources as long as we possibly can. So in the middle of that, I make the decision that, you know what, I'm going to figure out ways, and even if it might mean compromising or rationalizing some things uh, that are clear to me that are not the right thing, I'm going to do them, and I, and I, I rationalized in my mind I was doing it for the right reason. So I remember sitting down with Wendy one evening. And I said, look, I said, over the next six months, you know, we're going to be in transition and we're not really going to have a church that we're a part of. And so I think God will understand if maybe we we just don't, we're just not going to give during that time frame. And we'll be able to save that money and that will allow us. And I had it all planned out of how much longer it would allow us to go. And although I knew I'd been taught all my life about giving uh, first to God and then trusting him for the rest, I decided to do it Jeff's way. And so I told her, I think that's what we should do. She didn't say a whole lot. We went to bed that night. Woke up the next morning and we're sitting in the kitchen together and she looks across the table at me and she says, you know we can't do that. And in that moment, there was a hundred emotions. One, I was ticked off. Don't you hate it when your wife is right and you know she's right, right? I mean, I hate that, right? She says, you know we can't do that. She said, we've got to be faithful. We, we, we've got to do the right thing, right? We, we've got to be faithful uh, in giving, and we've got to trust God to provide for us and to take care of us. And I hung my head, and she went a step further, and she says, I, I think that we need to continue over this six months to get back to the church that's been so faithful to us. And we came up with a number, and I don't tell you this number for any other reason except for you to see the hand of God in terms of how he works but we made the decision to even go beyond that and we made the decision in that moment that we were going to give from January through June we were going to give a thousand dollars a month back to the church and we had the conversation and I should have been excited because now was the opportunity I was going to do the right thing I was going to watch God move and I went into the next room and I pouted and I was scared out of my mind and I was sitting there, and I was trying to read my Bible, but I, I just was filled with fear. I, was, I felt like a complete loser. I felt like there was no way to win. But we'd made the decision to do the right thing. And I'm sitting there, and there's a knock at the door. And the lady at the door, I, I went and answer the door and she was her and her husband had only been a a members of the church that we were a part of for a few months but she said hey i just wanted to come by and and i want to thank you for your investment in me and my husband and how much you mean to us and we just wanted to give this to you and let you know how much that we love you and I thanked her. We talked for a moment. And they owned a, a restaurant, a local restaurant that we went to a lot. And I just figured it was a nice note and some gift cards to her restaurant. Uh, and uh, so I went inside and I sat down. And it was. There was a, a nice note and a, a, a gift card to her restaurant. But then there was another envelope that was inside of there. And basically what she said in the note was is that we wanted to help you. We wanted to support you uh, and let you know that, that we're, we're in this with you. We feel like God told us to do this. And I opened up the other envelope, and there were six, not one check, there were six checks in there, which is kind of weird, right? And the six checks were marked: January 1st, February 1st, March 1st, April 1st, May 1st, June 1st. You you want to guess how much those checks were for? The exact amount that we had just trusted God and made the decision to do the right thing. Now, I believe, and you may not agree with me, but I don't care. It's my story, right? I believe that God told her to write six separate checks As a reminder to me, hey, I'm God. There's nothing I can't do. You trust my power and just do the right thing. And here's the cool part God's power never runs out, and it's not too late for you to do the right thing. And today, No matter whether you feel like a winner or if you'd raise your hand and say, I'm not going to ask you to, but Jeff, man, I feel like a complete loser today. God's power hasn't run out for you. He loves you with all of His heart. Trust Him and make the decision today that in whatever area of life it may be that you're wrestling with, to just do the right thing, do what you know trust him for the rest he will not let you down he will not fail because God always wins amen amen I'm going to ask you if you would just stand with me if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes Where are you today? For some of you, you may be here and say, Jeff, I've been trying this on my own for my whole life. But how could a God that good and that big and that powerful really care about me? My answer to you is I don't know, but I know he does. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. He's going to keep on loving you. He's waiting on you to surrender your life to him. And if that's where you are, in just a moment, we're going to sing together. And as we sing, you need to surrender your life to the Lord. We would love the privilege to pray with you this morning. You just come. Don't wait on anybody else. You just come. For others of you, there you may say, Jeff, I know I have a relationship with God, but I feel like I'm losing. I just need to pray with someone uh, this morning. Listen, there's power in the people of God coming together to pray. And if we can do that for you, we'd love the privilege to do that. Or maybe you want to just come and just kneel somewhere around here and you want to pray. Maybe there's a, a challenge before you. You need, you need the power of God to show up in your life. Listen, this is an opportunity not for us just to dismiss but it's to take the Word of God and the truth of God and say, now what do I do with it? So whether it's private or whether it's public today, as I pray for you, let's use this time to let God nail down the application in our hearts and minds. So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And if you need to come, you come. God, we love you. God, I don't know what the needs are in this room, but you do. And Lord, I pray that you will just have your way as we worship. Thank you, God, that we can trust you. pray that in this moment we'll do the right thing. It's in Jesus' name.